2: Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WBT podcast. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, September 27, 2019.
3: I want to get straight to the WBT hotline, given all that's happening in Washington, and bring on U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. He's back with us. Uh, Senator Tillis, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. I appreciate you being here, and I don't have to tell you all that's going on where, where you are. I want to get your take on the latest developments, the president making his uh, rather lengthy press conference yesterday afternoon, and now, of course, uh, your colleague uh, Senator Burr has delivered uh, that whistleblower complaint to the Senate Intelligence Committee, and another copy's been sent to the House counterpart. Uh, what is your reaction to what you've seen in the recent hours?
4: Well, first, we're not really sure that the whistleblower under the statutes, you know, we have protections for people who uh, see something and say something, but, uh, you know, we're we're hearing reports that this person who put this information forth was either second or third hand. We'll, we'll let Senator Burr get to the facts and determine whether or not this person really has whistleblower protections. If they don't, then they need to be held accountable for the information that, uh, that they're trying to disseminate. We all saw the transcript. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read it, but you know, Nancy Pelosi decided to move forward with impeachment before they even took the step of reading the transcript. Um, I, for one, do not see anything there that's any different than the false allegations against Brett Kavanaugh that was released in the New York Times that was going to be used as a basis for impeaching him. Now we're not even talking about it. So I'm glad, Richard, uh, Senator Burr is getting to the facts. And uh, we in the Senate conference will also be tracking that closely. And uh, probably, in my opinion, it's going to be another one of these news cycle stories where they take something reported in the news that's not substantiated. We'll move on. And I think people in North Carolina are getting tired of this.
3: I heard uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, your Senate colleague there in South Carolina, say yesterday, uh, talking about 1998, 1999, and the last time uh, the country was going through something similar like this, and he said, uh, well, we, we saw how that, how that backfired on the Republicans, and he said the same thing could happen for the Democrats this time around, and they need to pay close attention to history because he said uh, there's less here than there was there then.
4: I think you're right, Bo, and I think the other thing we have to continue to remind people in North Carolina and across the country is that this distraction is at the expense of getting things done that we need to get done. Nancy Pelosi has the free trade agreement between Mexico and Canada that has the votes to pass, that while we're distracted by these things that I think are not going to bear fruit, uh, there are more political exercises It's at the expense of doing good things for Small businesses and farmers in North Carolina, and I believe people are beginning to watch that. I also think people are beginning to watch the fact that our the Democrats are trying to use these processes to really convict people before they uh, you know to assume they're guilty until proven innocent that's a That's a chilling concept for all of America because if they can try to do this thing with the president, then they can do it for your son or daughter or any one of us in society. They are absolutely not going through the kind of process we would expect of elected officials in Congress.
3: Talking to Senator Tom Tillis, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, here on the Pat McCrory Show. Now, uh, the House of Representatives can charge when it comes to impeachment, but as you well know, as a member of that Senate body, uh, a conviction can only come from a Senate impeachment trial. Uh, what about what we're hearing from people like Mitt Romney and some of your Republican colleagues there that may, uh, as it's being described by some people in the media, some people that are on the fence? Uh, what, what can you, t- you know, I'm sure you've read the tweets and heard, and maybe you've even talked to a, a Senator Romney recently about this, but uh, that is something uh, of focus over the last couple of days about are there Republican senators that may be on the fence about this impeachment thing now?
4: You know, I don't, I don't really get that sense. I think what they're trying to uh, – you know, Mitt, I spoke with Mitt yesterday a couple of times. And, I, I you know, I think that uh, there may be some members who are waiting until they see other information, but I think they all believe and, and they all have, have – uh, indicated that they think that this is as much a political exercise like every single one that went before it, but they're they're uh, maybe they're a little bit more reserved than me. I'm not reserved about this because I've seen the transcript and I've seen the pattern of behavior. I've seen the false allegations. I've seen the news cycle, and then I've seen them move on. So I'm, you know, I'm a data person. I just think that there's a pattern of behavior here that makes it far more likely this is just another cheap shot to. It to divert attention away from products that people aren't buying. They're not buying the Green New Deal. They're not buying Medicare for all. They're not buying the policies that the Democrats are selling. So now the Democrats are trying to sell this, I think, as a distraction. And I, for one, I, for one believe that it's going to end up as every one of these false allegations and rabbit holes they've gone down in the
3: past did. Final question here for U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. We are just uh, minutes away uh, within the hour from the intel chief, the acting intel chief, to testify on Capitol Hill. Uh, What are you watching for? What are you expecting there today?
4: Well, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll wait and see. You know, it, uh, it's kind of hard to predict these uh, these things in advance. So I'm going to be like you, paying attention to it, and then uh, withholding judgment until I hear the testimony or yep. you know, hear the results of
2: the testimony.
3: Well, busy times there on Capitol Hill. I appreciate you uh, calling in this morning, and we'll stay in touch as this progresses.
2: Wherever you are, whenever you're ready, This is Bo Thompson's WBT podcast.
3: It is WBT's Wednesday morning news. Time to bring on our cyber security expert, Teresa Payton. So this, if my calculations are correct, three in three weeks, your third trip overseas to make a, a cyber speech. And, and this time it's it's Germany, is it not?
0: It is. Um, good tracking on the calendar there. <laughs> I need to ask you where I'm going next. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so I'm very honored. I was asked by the European Council to present at their annual global meeting of European uh, risk to talk about cybercrime and the systemic risks and impact on the global financial services companies and markets and to offer some solutions. So I'm really excited, um, I definitely feel the pressure uh, and uh, I'll be visiting with them on Thursday and then addressing the uh, annual meeting on Friday.
3: Well, as busy as you are, I so much appreciate you visiting with us. And I want to start with a story that's been in the news. President Trump, of course, uh, has been at the United Nations meetings, gatherings in, uh, at the General Assembly in New York this week, and there's still a, a good bit of talk about uh, what to do, uh, if anything, in retaliation to uh, punish Tehran for the attacks on the Saudi oil infrastructure uh, uh, about a week ago and and one phrase you're hearing a good bit is uh, the cyber silver bullet is there something that the u s may do or consider in the cyber realm to retaliate and what exactly
2: would that mean
0: there certainly is the opportunity where over time we have potentially planted uh... different things that in the event we need to flip a switch and let a country know we are displeased or they've overstepped their boundaries where we could potentially be taking communications offline, critical infrastructure such as energy, uh, communications, banking, take that offline, take a country offline. So I assume those different sort of digital switches are in place and could potentially be used. Now the question is, does Iran want us to do that? Are they just looking for an excuse to get into a fight. It's sort of like one of those, like, oh, you want a piece of me? Like, you're sort of egging somebody on to actually respond. So I think the question the world really needs to ask, and this is the U.S., this is the Saudis, this is our allies, is what is the appropriate measured response to Iran for what happened at Saudi Aramco? And, you know, I would offer that before we flip any switches we should really be doing some more digital surveillance. We should be talking to Iran about saying, look, what you just did is not appropriate. Here's the measured uh, world response to what you did to hold you accountable. And by the way, we just wanna remind you, we have the capability to do the following things and we're watching you and we will take action. So your action will be met with a commensurate action. So the silver bullet uh, for all intents and purposes, Bo would be flipping these switches, which would effectively take communications online, potentially, as you saw with Stuxnet, destroy particular capabilities that Iran has been building. And I believe that is what authorities, um, including the White House, are alluding to when they say that.
3: I want to shift gears and uh, talk about the weather. And we have three active storms out there we've been talking about on this show in the last few days. The tropical storms, Jerry, Karen, and now you have Lorenzo floating around out there. And uh, such an active hurricane season, there's actually hurricane technology, or there's the threat, a threat to hurricane technology out there in the form of 5G cell networks, and there are meteorologists that are worried that, you know, for all that's been made about how good and great 5G would be over 4G, it could actually maybe uh, hinder the way we track hurricanes.
0: Yes, and this is so frustrating because there's such a huge push around 5G without completely thinking through all of the ramifications. I think a lot of people remember Bo, you and I have talked about sort of the the US's position intelligence agency wise around Huawei and sort of the global fight around that. But here's where this kind of comes down and, and let's just kind of bring it down to a very basic level. Like if you think about the early days of baby monitors and how people would have baby monitors in their house and the neighbors would say like when I was on my 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 uh, landline phone, uh, and it's voice over IP, and you're using your baby monitor, I can hear your baby on my phone, right? And that's because these channels, these frequencies are stepping on each other, and we're having the same issue here. What NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, has warned is the technology that we use to predict storms, their patterns, and to tell people get out of harm's way – that the frequency, that bandwidth is very similar to the frequency and the bandwidth that 5G is building itself on. So we actually have a collision course between 5G technology and our satellite weather tracking technology, and it has not been resolved, and it needs to be resolved before we get too far down the path. So this is a a very serious concern, um, and this is something that has, has to be worked out, very quickly. Um, NASA and NOAA are both very concerned about this. The
3: doorbell camera company Ring has uh, arranged a relationship, a video sharing partnership, with more than 400 police forces across the United States, which would give them uh, possible access to camera footage, you know, surveillance camera footage in people's homes. Now, you have to understand about this that it's not carte blanche. Uh, the, the The homeowner would have to agree to to provide access, and that access would not be uh, live or ongoing footage, but it would be you saying, hey, you can have access to my surveillance during certain times of day, you know, the times of day uh, where you would be worried about uh, break-ins and such. And so it's kind of a a, a new new age neighborhood watch system potentially, but there are a lot of people who are worried about privacy in this situation. I'm wondering about your take here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those things, you know, Ted and I wrote about this a couple years ago in, in one of our books, Privacy in the Age of Big Data, and we actually talked about kind of the conundrum here, because if it's you or I and our packages are getting stolen off of our front porch... Um, and or we have somebody who's casing our house by looking in our windows when we're not there or maybe our children are home or you know things like that where there's a concern and we have a tool to help law enforcement find people who are doing the wrong things and bad things in neighborhoods people want law enforcement to have those tools but on the flip side what if people are just kind of walking door to door and just sort of conversing with their neighbors or you know the yard people or delivery people and thing and people who are law abiding citizens are caught up in this footage as well a couple of things here one is ring is not the only one with this technology interestingly enough, ring was acquired by Amazon in two thousand and eighteen so I'll just kind of let that sit there mm-hmm. but um, but I This does raise the question, which is, where are your and my rights to privacy? And so in the name of security, as we roll out in our workplace and at our homes, things to make us more secure, things to give us another level of assuredness, Are there opportunities for our privacy to be invaded and used against us? As it relates to law enforcement and giving permission to look at our feeds, I think a lot of people would say, hey, if I have the opportunity to opt into that, I'd like to be open to that. But we would need to make sure that law-abiding citizens don't get swooped up in that, So I've got a lot more questions than I have answers right now in hearing about that. And then we also know that Amazon has an interesting track record when it comes to recording when you ask them not to record and where those recordings go. So I, I think we've got to ask the question. And it was very smart of TARC to bring this to our attention, Bo, because I do think people need to be asking more questions about this. And this does also raise something very interesting, which is you may start off, with a company, and you like what they have to say about a privacy policy and their track record, and then find out they get acquired by another company, and then everything changes on you. So again, brave new world, um, again, more questions than answers, but I'm really glad that Tark brought this to our attention so that people can sort of be deciding whether or not they want to opt into this program.
3: Anytime you want to uh, add a question into the mix or, or recommend a topic, you can do that You can follow Teresa on Twitter at TrackerPayton and, of course, at Bo Thompson WBT as well. Teresa, always good to talk to you and have a safe trip. Number three in a row overseas.
0: Absolutely. Thanks. It's always great to talk to you, Bo, and I never like to miss our segment, so thank you.
2: Uh, You're listening to Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. I bring on my next guest.
3: I remember several years back the first conversation I had or one of the first I had with then-new Congressman Robert Pittenger. It was right in the middle of the fiscal cliff. And I remember saying to uh, Congressman Pittenger, wow, <laughs> talk about uh, trial by fire hitting the ground running. I can say the same thing for Congressman Dan Bishop, who joins me live right now from D.C. Boy, I tell you what, they don't, they don't wait very long to, to ramp up the chaos when you become a congressman, huh?
5: That's exactly right, Bo. They've really jumped the shark. I mean, I got here just in time for it to get really insane.
3: Well, uh, is, uh, and so give me an idea of what you are experiencing right now. What's the last uh, 12 hours or so been like uh, surrounding all of this uh, this hoopla?
5: Well, there's a lot of attention on it, obviously, and it's uh, got things in turmoil. Uh, folks are commenting on it in every conversation, and frankly, on the Republican side, uh, it's shrugging shoulders. Uh, the, <laughs> we, we, you know, we we're gonna we're gonna see supposedly a tr- uh, transcript of the call that is in question between President Trump and the President of Ukraine uh, today. And without w- uh, waiting for that, uh, the Speaker, of course, in, has announced that she considers what they're now doing a formal impeachment inquiry. Of course, there's no there impeachment articles until it comes to the floor and. Debated and voted on, but uh, that's what she says, and so we're, <laughs> we're going to see it. But I, it, to me, I mean, just to, to, to launch that extremely grave or speak that word and, uh, officially from the speaker's mouth uh, on the predicate that, that exists right now is almost insane.
3: Well, Kevin McCarthy, the GOP minority leader, uh, held his press conference shortly after Nancy Pelosi yesterday, and and one of the things he said uh, was that Speaker Pelosi can't decide on impeachment unilaterally. Uh, he's you know it requires a full vote of the House of Representatives, and we know that the House has voted three times on articles of impeachment, and each time uh, it's failed, and only two presidents have ever been impeached. But uh, so, have you talked to Kevin McCarthy, or talked to me about what some? of the chatter amongst your colleagues there uh, in the wake of this yesterday?
5: Well, again, I think the the conversations I've had last evening with Republicans have been along the lines of uh, just shrugging shoulders at at, uh, at the the precipitousness. And and if you think about it, uh, Chairman Nadler of the Judiciary Committee has sort of announced new rules, which didn't really change anything. That was happening the weekend that I went to right after my election on September 10th. Uh, that purported to be changing the dynamic somehow, so it was more of a focus on impeachment. And now this announcement by the Speaker that it's a, it's a formal impeachment inquiry, but it's, again, nothing's happened on the floor of the House. It hasn't changed anything. So it's almost as if the Democrats are ter- internally in turmoil and feel that for, the, for political reasons, they've got to say something starting with the I-word. <laughs> And uh, so that's what's happening. But, you know, I think if this thing comes out today and the, and the transcript doesn't uh, show anything of significance in the, in the telephone call, th- then I think what uh, I understand is that they're saying, well, he should be impeached unless he turns over something that the Justice Department says is not even an, a whistleblower complaint. But I suspect that'll be turned over. And, if it, if it you know, it's just implausible that that is the predicate. To really uh, start impeachment, so I, I just think they've been going out. They've had a one object in mind for a long time, uh, that impeach the president, come hell or high water, and it doesn't matter what the facts are. So I think that's. I think they're they're playing with their own. Uh, political viability in what they're doing.
3: Well, and uh, we just got word that uh, around 4 o'clock today, President Trump is expected to hold a news conference, and like you say, uh, we wonder uh, whether we'll get the transcript today. It sounds like we will, and then, uh, if that is the case, then how much of the transcript will you get? President Trump keeps saying uh, that it was a great conversation between he and the the leader of Ukraine, and that uh, he's ready to put it out there. Uh, Do you believe that it'll be a, a full as is transcript
5: well I'm not yeah you know, well I think so I, and, I, and uh, I'm not prejudging anything it's just the, the problem is that the Democrats are prejudging things and deciding stuff that they, they have no clue what it's going to show and, and, and I think even you know not to get too far ahead of ourselves but President Trump if he uh, there's in my mind there's absolutely nothing wrong with him urging an investigation if he's aware that uh, Vice President Biden in 2015 uh, used uh, pressure to prevent investigations that should occur, so if corruption, clearing up corruption is something that's been important in in the Ukraine, then then uh, it's appropriate for the president to speak to that. But uh, I, so I, I'm just looking forward to seeing what it says and not prejudging it. But I I think they've gone off the cliff, uh, having already done that.
3: Talking to a congressman. Dan Bishop live from Washington this morning, on the heels of uh, Speaker Pelosi's announcement yesterday, and the possible impending release of that transcript from President Trump this afternoon. So uh, back to you for a second, and you getting acclimated up there. Uh, You've been up there for a couple of weeks now. Is the office set up? Everything uh, business business is uh, moving ahead now.
5: Uh, (laughs) It takes more than a a week to uh, to get (laughs) it rolling perfectly, but we we have made good strides. We've uh, got some staff hired to. Uh, to pick up constituent service in the district and have identified, I think, the locations of our offices down there. And so we'll be getting that uh, actually in in operation probably by the end of this week, uh, early next week at the latest. And we're also getting staff here. So it's a, it's a great deal to do uh, and very interesting, all of it, and much uh, important work to be done. Uh, just got uh, news last night that I'll be uh, joining the Homeland Security Committee as well as the Committee on Small Business So I'm eager to jump into that committee work as well.
3: And what about the Freedom Caucus?
5: Well, I haven't made any decisions about any caucuses uh, within Republican conference I've joined, but uh, certainly I'm keeping an independent mind about that and I'm going to watch how that develops.
3: All right. Congressman Dan Bishop, I told you I'd be back in touch, but <laughs> I don't think either of us <laughs> thought things would uh, escalate this quickly, but that's Washington for you. So there you we go. Thank
5: you. be talking often. Yeah, yeah I, think,
3: I think so. You better, you better get used to me. I, I appreciate your accessibility. You know that, and then we'll talk again soon.
2: You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. can handle Rambo.
5: Well, I thought it was the Americans doing what they usually
2: do with their films. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Rambo, Last Blood. Rated R, now playing.
3: It is WBT's Friday morning news and time to bring on the line from cinemablend.com. We uh, did not have a segment last week, but a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks. Sean O'Connell, how you doing, my friend?
6: I'm good, Bo. Good to talk to you.
3: Yes, sir. And so Rambo Last Blood. Now, this this was released last Friday. It has gotten collectively maybe the worst set of reviews I've ever seen for a movie. I mean, they have <laughs> ravaged this. And I know you saw this.
6: Uh, yes, I did. And uh, it's, it's not nearly as bad as they're making it out to be. Uh, and I think that my expectations were just extremely low because, as you say, the reviews were that bad. Um, but it's definitely not where Stallone wants this character to go and I, I certainly wouldn't want to see it be the the end note for Rambo, however on on the flip side, I don't really <laughs> want to see him try to make another one of these
3: what what is so, this? Is that the fifth by my my count? This would be the fifth yeah
6: and and yes they're they're boldly calling it uh last blood yeah so, so uh, that's a, a we, we play know we here.
3: know where this goes with uh, the final chapter, et cetera, et yeah. cetera.
6: Right, exactly. And what's sad is, and and someone coined this, and I, I'd like to give them proper credit, but I saw it on Twitter. It's almost as if they came up with one good set piece for the entire movie and then like didn't care enough to build up a movie to get to that set piece. And it's basically at the end of Rambo, which was the fourth one that came out, uh, we saw John Rambo return back home. And he was on a farm in um, it, it's New Mexico, I believe. It might be Arizona. It's somewhere in the Southwest Desert. And for reasons that you'll eventually learn in the movie, he has to eventually defend this home from a Mexican drug cartel. And he's got tunnels underneath it, and he's got booby traps laid out all over the place, and it's Rambo against an entire drug cartel, which is great. Like, that's a good setup. But the movie to get to that confrontation is so lame (laughs) and so thin that even in a time where, you know, Hollywood just wants us to get excited because the original stars of whatever franchise we loved growing up uh, is back— it, the the new Last Blood is just watching the character of John Rambo go through a couple of random disconnected scenes until you could get to the finale. And so it, you're spinning your wheels for about 87 minutes. It's hardly even a film. And uh, and I can't recommend paying good money to go see it. But, you know, when it's on some streaming service, if you're a diehard Sylvester Stallone fan, you'll check it out. and You'll be like, all right, that wasn't that wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's certainly not, you know, what the the legacy of the character deserves.
3: Well, and to that point, w- what is Stallone doing here? I mean, is he is he just going through the franchise list and milking everything for one last hurrah? I mean, we've seen what he's done with Rocky to, I think, uh, varying results. I mean, are we going to see what over the top two coming out next summer? As, are, are we headed to a, a Demolition Man sequel? I mean, what's going on with this guy?
6: Well, I'll tell you, he wants to uh, make a Tango in Cash uh, oh. sequel, and he's trying to, get, <laughs> trying to get Kurt Russell on board. But Kurt Russell is wisely saying uh, nobody wants to see this. I, you know what? I think Stallone got sort of empowered by the Creed franchise doing well. Uh, but the thing about the Creed franchise is that it became about Michael B. Jordan's character, and yeah. Rocky was just a supporting character. We don't necessarily need to get back into every franchise. That Stallone did. And what's funny is, you know, when he came up with his own thing in The Expendables, it worked for at least one, maybe two movies. Now, he keeps doing sequels to those. But the idea of the old school action guys like Schwarzenegger and Wesley Snipes and Bruce Willis teaming up with the new generation of action people, Jason Statham and Jet Lee, that was a great concept. I wish that Stallone would kind of go after more original ideas like that because he does not need to recycle every franchise character he's ever played.
3: All right, so back to the idea that most people did not like Rambo. They savaged it, this Rambo Last Blood. I have (laughs) gone on record on this show in these segments with you saying that one of my least favorite movies of all time was the most recent Jurassic World movie, The Fallen Kingdom. So I uh, am very hesitant to jump back on this bandwagon, but then, then... The news from earlier this week, and I'm going to read a tweet from Chris Pratt here. He says, just in case you hadn't seen the news, it's finally happening. Get ready for what is absolutely, without a doubt, going to be the biggest, baddest, and best movie of the franchise. Hashtag, we spared no expense. And he's referring to this news that Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum are coming back for this third Jurassic World movie next summer. And according to the director, it's not like... Jeff Goldblum sitting at a table for several seconds. He says, "All of these originals are going to have major roles in this next movie."
6: Which is fine.
3: You know, that's <laughs> fine. But wait, it, again, so, so you're not as <laughs> you're not as excited as I am about this. No,
6: I'm not, cuz again, it just speaks to everything we're seeing, which is, "Hey, we got the originals to come back, <laughs> but if you don't give them something to do, then I don't care anymore." You know, I've already seen Arnold, come back to the Terminator franchise. You know, next year you're going to see Will Smith uh, and Martin Lawrence playing bad boys again. It's great. The nostalgia aspect, you know, can really be exciting if you give these people something to do. And listen, (laughs) you bring up Goldblum sitting at a table, that's a fool me once, you know, shame on on me kind of thing. Fool me (laughs) twice, shame on me. I can't get excited about Jeff Goldblum coming back because I saw how they wasted him. And even if you tell me it's a major story, Great! I need to see it before I get all whipped up into a frenzy.
3: All right, now I'm kind of depressed. I was all hyped up. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> hey, if, if Eddie Murphy can come back to SNL, then then anything can happen. But to your point, uh, it, it can't be Eddie Murphy at the at the 40th anniversary standing on the stage. It's got to be Eddie Murphy doing something. So maybe we'll yet another example. yeah. Well, maybe we should both go into the category of "We'll believe it when we see it." As far as it actually being good.
6: Yes. Fair enough. That's what I'll
3: take. Okay, a couple more things before I let you go. Uh, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, which is a new movie, new trailer this week. And this movie, this sequel to the Breaking Bad TV series, which was wildly popular, is headed to Netflix.
6: It is on October 11th. Uh, Super excited for this. It's basically uh, picking up right where the series finale left off. Uh, I won't give away any spoilers just in case anyone's listening to the, uh, the radio show and has not seen Breaking Bad. It's definitely a show you should experience for yourself, but um, it's essentially going to follow Aaron Paul's character of Jesse Pinkman following the events of the series finale. Um, I understand that there's at least ten major Breaking Bad characters that are going to be back in it. Uh, That franchise has been really successful on AMC networks with the Better Call Saul uh, spinoff, which is kind of a prequel to what happened in Breaking Bad, and obviously tapping into Bob Odenkirk and uh, Jonathan Banks, terrific actors and a great cast. But getting back to go uh, to that Breaking Bad world with series creator vince gilligan who is the writer and director of this new movie el camino if he's the one bringing it back i'm all on board because i know he's a super protector of the the legacy of that show and i don't think he'd come back for this two-hour movie if he didn't have an outstanding story to tell so i'm, I'm really excited to see it
3: and finally staying with the theme of tv shows uh, graduating to movies same thing has happened with downton abbey from uh, pbs and you saw this uh, this past week right
6: I did, and I went to go see that movie without having seen one single episode of Downton Abbey. But oh, really? thing is. Oh, yeah, hadn't seen any of it, but was curious to see what the uh, the hoopla was all about. And it is. It's a it's a fantastically acted uh, television show, or or the feature is the the cast is. British, uh, which generally means better than us at (laughs) acting, and has really good people in the cast. I was intrigued by the storyline. I I was able to follow the whole thing, but it is a huge hit, both for Focus Features. It had the biggest opening of any film in Focus Features uh, franchise history, which basically just goes to show that the the show had a ton of... um, appetite left for more stories to tell in it. And I'm telling you, our preview audience here in Charlotte was eating it up with a spoon. They were reacting to every sort of plot twist. They were laughing along with all the dry one-liners. Um, it, it's a, it's a crowd pleaser for sure. Whether you uh, were in, invested in the show or not, I think it works either way.
3: So I guess the ultimate vote of confidence from you would be, are you going to now go watch the TV series?
6: Uh, yeah, I don't, have to- I don't have time for that. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I would. Yes, I would be intrigued enough to watch it, but I uh, I don't know if I can commit to however many seasons of Downton Abbey exist.
3: That that would be a collective thumb sideways from Sean O'Connell. Yeah,
6: exactly. <laughs> exactly.
3: Exactly. All right, lots of stuff this week. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Cinemabland.com for more 24-7. Sean O'Connell. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Bo. The best of the week. On to men. <laughs> this is Bo Thompson's WPT podcast.
3: Final weekend of September. Will it be? A good end to September for the Carolina Panthers. Bo Thompson, Jim Zoki, and in studio as he is on Fridays with us from WFNZ. One half of Wilson and Parcel
7: on FNZ. It is Nick Wilson. I, again, I prefer to be four-fifths of Wilson and Parcel. <laughs> I've got a, uh, you know, I'm a little bit larger than the average host, and, and my, uh, my, my cohort is... Uh, He's a vegan, basically, so.
3: (laughs) Well, uh, you and I were talking off the air before you came in here, and you said, man, what a long week this has been. And I said, and you didn't even have to talk about impeachment, to which you said.
7: To which I said, I've had to talk about double impeachment, uh, the futures of Ron Rivera and Cam Newton. That's about as impeachable as it gets, uh, whatever's going on with the organization today.
3: Well... Zoki and I talked a lot about earlier this week the fact that you won last weekend and you just you stop the bleeding and 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 for the moment the Carolina Panthers can recalibrate, you get Kyle Allen coming out and doing as well as you could have asked for Kyle Allen to do, and yet here we are again pondering what the headlines will be on Monday if this team loses on Sunday,
7: yeah, I think what was really interesting is we were so we were all so thrilled that they won that there was this giant like sigh of like relief on Monday, and the truth is. The same things that were on the line going into that Arizona game are on the line right now. And it is, you know, whether it's Kyle Allen's future, whether it's the intermediate future of this team. And I'll also say this, if you go into the Jacksonville game, Jacksonville is not a great team, but they do have a great defense and they can beat you. You go into that game 1-3, and three, you're potentially staring down going into Tampa Bay and London at 1-4, at and four, that's the closer you get to the buy, and the less wins you have, the more likely the conversations about Ron Rivera's future up for grabs. So I've tried to talk about it. like the the difference between one and three and two and two might not sound like a lot right now. Believe me. Going into the next two games after that, that's a huge difference for this team.
5: So, how do you view Kyle Allen? You know, one game this year, essentially one game at the end of last year. So, smaller sample size, but uh, I mean, do you think they got something there, or you just need a lot more time to see what you got?
7: Man, I had to eat uh, and uh, (laughs) just uh, insurmountable amount of crow this week because I have just said I've watched the guy enough in practice. I just didn't think he was an NFL quarterback. Or sorry, I've watched him enough in, in just overall that I didn't feel like he was an NFL quarterback. I was wrong. He is an NFL quarterback. I think the way I've tried to frame it this week is the next three weeks are about finding whether he's going to be Jake DeLome or Matt Moore. I tend to think that uh, one-game aberrations are are really important to not overreact to. I think that he did show you that he can make NFL throws. I think he showed you if you simplify the game plan, he can have a good amount of success. I I'm going to withdraw further judgment. Uh, Withdrawing further judgment till now, just because I don't want to eat so much crow if he goes out and throws for another four touchdowns and 250 yards this week. You don't want
6: to put any more uh, of your tape
3: out there.
7: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That, That is a
3: Nick Wilson preemptive strike right there. Not doing it this time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not doing it this time. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so it's one thing for Kyle Allen to come out and, and do what he did. Now you're playing a better team this week. You're playing a team that's had a week to watch what you did when you did so well. And so if he wins like he did this coming Sunday, then you've really got some momentum, I think.
7: Yeah, I mean, then I, I think you're you're just, okay, this is where you are. Let's see how long this goes. Let's see, can we carry that momentum into Jacksonville? I will say, though, uh, this is not a great Texans defense. They're better than Arizona. Arizona's got a really good defensive coordinator, two really good players, and not a whole lot behind that. Uh, Whereas the Texans have a lot of veteran guys. They do have a few outstanding guys like the J.J. Watts, the D.J. Readers, the Whitney Merciless, guys like that. Mm -hmm. I'll say this, though. This is the other thing. Norv Turner simplified the game plan week one. The job of Romeo Cornell, the Texans' defensive coordinator, is going to be to do what Wade Phillips did in week one and what Wade Phillips has done against young quarterbacks this year, which is give them different looks. Change up pre- and post-snaps. Confuse them. Do anything you can to get in their head a little bit because that's something that I think... I think Arizona tried to do last week but the reality is Arizona didn't have enough talent to do that. This is a team that defensively has enough talent. If you can get Kyle Allen confused, there should be a turnover or, or two there. This is a, this is a step up in competition.
5: Yeah, on the other side, you know Deshaun Watson, you got he's, kind of okay. he's he's a <laughs> taller, better version of Kyler Murray and the speed they have a wide receiver with those three receivers out there it and it, we know right now Dante Jackson didn't practice yesterday so if he goes it won't be at 100%. So that that'll be probably a big Track meetup. The
7: funny thing about it is, you didn't feel great about the the cornerback position here, anyways, overall the first three games because Dante Jackson was uh, kind of being picked on in the Tampa Bay game. He had a really nice game this last week, but like, even behind Dante Jackson and James Bradbury, I mean, they're they're like two steps away from having a guy that looks like me out there as a cornerback. It's it's not a good situation depth wise at cornerback right now. Four fifths of Wilson and Parcell. <laughs> he is Nick Wilson coming Can I get up. That Brandon. So
3: that's not the brain capacity. That's the more the physical. No, yeah, stature. that's
7: more. Okay. I would say that's more body mass if we're going <laughs> on that level. This
2: is Bo Thompson's WBT podcast.
3: I want to bring on the line, Brett Jensen, WBT News, the other uh, or one of the other big stories from yesterday, Carolina Panthers reportedly working on a multi-million dollar plan to bring Major League Soccer to Bank of America Stadium, and the word is, Panthers owner David Tepper wants millions from the city for upgrades to the stadium. Uh, How many millions? Well, it depends on who you talk to yesterday. Brett is on the line right now. Uh, You were at the Billy uh, Billy Joel press conference yesterday. You were also following this story yesterday. What can you? You tell me.
8: Well, you know, the I, I spoke to several people with very intricate and intimate knowledge of the details yesterday, and they said, I said, is $200 million is at the right price tag? They said, not even close, I said, is the other report of $150 million the right price tag? And he said, that's being overwhelmingly generous, it's nowhere near that much. And I said, okay. I said, so we're talking closer to $100 million. And you know, I know when we're talking tens of millions of dollars, it doesn't seem like it's hard to grasp. But there is a big difference between 100 million and 200 million. And I was also told yesterday, uh, and maybe Kenny can elaborate more on this. But I was told yesterday that you know people are talking about this uh, this hotel tourism tax, but they're about tapped out on that, from what I understand. or At least that's what I was told that. They don't have much wiggle room on that anymore.
6: Is that correct, Kenny? Uh, uh, you were right, uh, Brett. And, you, man, you are the hardest-working <laughs> guy in the reporting business all over the place. Uh, but, yeah, no, they are about tapped out. And as you looked at, um, uh, there are some uh, expenses coming down to the convention centers are going to end up being more expensive than they thought, and some of that may come out of that as well. But it's it, it's going to be a tight squeeze. And $100 million, as you point, is better than the large sums. But, you know, when I was on council, we were – the request from the city is going to be about thirty million or so, or maybe twenty-five million. So it has grown exponentially from where it was, uh, maybe not as high as it can be, and it'll be fascinating to keep watching this this play out.
8: Well, you know, and the other thing, real quick, about the Billy Joel, I just I want to tell this to the audience because uh, I know who our audience is, and I know the two people sitting in the room right now. A TV reporter, um, young female, comes up to me uh, afterwards, and she's like. I've never heard of Billy Joel. Oh, God. And I said, I said oh, that hurts me. I said, that's sort of like saying you don't know who Bruce Springsteen is. And she goes, who's that? Is that a country <laughs> song? Oh, God. Country guy? And I went, you don't know who Bruce Springsteen is? This is a TV reporter here in Charlotte. I said, you don't know who Bruce Springsteen is? She goes, she goes no, should I? And I'm like, okay, I'm done.
3: I don't even know what the answer would be if you asked her who he, Phil Collins was. You should have told her he has a great Insta Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> right, right,
8: right. Well, he's only on Broadway, but yeah, okay.
3: Well, you know what? That's fine. That's three extra seats that uh, we can use <laughs> that's that that's all be used yeah, that's come Gospin next is.
2: April. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WBT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WBT.com and Radio.com. Monday.